0: Hi, hello, and howdy, everyone. Welcome to the podcast, Rotten to the Core. I'd like to thank all of my current listeners and new ones for your support. I am over the moon that other people share the same sense of empathy that I do, as well as a thirst for the whole truth of our past. Good and bad, we get into it all here to hopefully better ourselves by learning from the mistakes of others. I am your host Josh Waters and today's story will sort of fall in line with our previous one, the history of witch hunting and its origins from Rome. The main man under fire today is a disgraced pope whose actions are responsible for around 600,000 to 9 million deaths over the course of 250 years, all for the crime of witchcraft. I thought the 20 murdered in Salem was a lot, but this absolutely blew my mind. Now it takes a lot out of me whenever I learn about this type of darkness. I try not to, but I really can't help but imagine how all of these people's fears and pain affected them in their final days. I mean these were mostly very uneducated people in poverty. They knew they didn't sell their soul to any devil, but were still being punished for it. Imagine the hell that it would be to know that you're gonna be hung, or worse burned alive, but completely helpless to stop it. Now, multiply that by up to 9 million times, and that's the amount of darkness that was released. All those lives ruined and taken. Not just those murdered, but their families as well. It's been my experience that the fear of mankind in the name of God is far more deadly and dangerous. Now, let's all take our seats because this history class is in session. This is the life and atrocities of Pope Innocence VIII. Yes, that was his real name that he went by. He was the not-so-innocent pontiff who died a pile of flesh and bones, and quite possibly hydrated by the blood of truly innocent young boys. Before we get too far into this story, I'd like to start with a Bible verse I found that might help us to wrap our minds around how he could have possibly justified these actions. From Exodus 22, verse 18 Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. And this was all he really needed. He believed he was the hand of God on this earth. Real quick, have you ever noticed how many leaders throughout history believe they are chosen by God? I mean, the ego. In his eyes, he was practically sealing his spot in heaven by condemning these people. Whether or not he truly believed in witches is still up to debate. It was a great tool of propaganda for asserting the need for the protection of the Vatican against Satan and his evil forces. Or did he truly believe that he was ridding the world of soulless evil beings? I like to believe the latter. I also tend to look on the brighter side of things. Some may call this toxic positivity, but hey, it gets me through every day, mostly. Born on an unknown date sometime in 1432 in Genoa, Italy, and given the name Giovanni Battista Sibo. He was the son of Arano Sibo and his wife Teodorina de Mari of Old Genoese family. His father was a viceroy of Naples and then a senator in Rome under Pope Calactus III. A viceroy is just a ruler exercising authority in a colony on behalf of a sovereign. As a result of his father's power and position, Giovanni would spend a great deal of his youth at the Neapolitan court. Judging from how he was as a leader later in his life, I'm guessing the court was just chock full of rotten men. In his first position in the church, Giovanni was appointed as a canon in the Cathedral of Quapo in Rome, basically like an assistant manager. They have no title no real power or ability to vote. He did resign in 1458 after the death of King Alfonso and due to several disputes with the Archbishop of Genoa, causing the future pontiff to travel to Padua and Rome to continue with his education. During this time, the church wasn't the only thing Giovanni was interested in. He did end up fathering at least two known children— a son, Francesetto Cibo, when he was 18, and a daughter, Teodorina Cibo, when he was 23. Now, these were illegitimate children born out of wedlock, which meant that they had no rights to the family inheritance. His son was later naturalized by his father into becoming his legitimate heir. Francesco was infamous for his gambling addiction and wanton spending of the papal treasury for various pleasures and scandals. He is otherwise noteworthy for his political marriage to Maddalena de' Medici, and their offspring form a pretty popular lineage that persists in the nobility of Europe to this day. I couldn't find much about the daughter's life, though. She was married off and had three children. Nepotism was alive and well for the advancement of his children, though. Now, I scoured the internet, but I could not find any more about his early life before he became Pope. I'm just going to surmise that he just continued his works within the church to further fatten his title and his fortune. So, we will fast forward a bit to the year 1484, when Pope Sixtus IV died leaving the papacy open for his successor. Gangs reportedly rioted in the streets as factions within the conclave started to scheme behind the scenes. The election had heavy political motivations. Promises of pardons and benefits were said to influence votes. What a strange thing to even fathom. Now, benefices are a permanent church appointment, typically that of a rector or vicar, for which property and income are provided in respect of pastoral duties. It's a real, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your situation, but with a lot more corruption. It is claimed that Cardinal Della Rovere met secretly with Cardinal Marco Barbo to secure him more votes to become pope. If he was promised a residence, though Barbo refused to hear it, well, you never know when the smoke will blow your way. And on the 29th of August, 1484, Giovanni Sibo rose as Pope Innocent the Eighth on the papal throne as the 213th man to hold the position. It wouldn't take very long for the new pope to make his first mistake, and he called for a crusade of the Turks, which ultimately ended in failure. He also showed the world how he would treat his enemies, and during a conflict with King Ferdinand of Naples, he excommunicated him, and invited King Charles VIII of France to claim the kingdom. Now, I did not realize by far just how much power the Pope's throne carried. In this, I'm just gonna call it what it is, measuring contest of power It ended up backfiring and would push Italy into anarchy for several decades, long after the death of the innocent Pope VIII. He also supported the ruler of the Ottoman Empire. He made a deal to keep the sultan's brother captive at the Vatican. The sultan's brother tried to claim the Ottoman throne, so he was a fugitive to the empire. Innocent would continually threaten to release the sultan's brother, if not for a very handsome fee. The Pope's politics were also not like among Italy's states. In addition to the war with Naples, the Pope launched several campaigns that would quickly drain the treasury. And in a futile attempt to fill his pockets, the Pope created and sold new posts within the church. He was reportedly involved with bribery, which only ruined the church's reputation during his rule. And we all know, reputation is everything. Well, when you're a man in power and failing miserably, what's the best way to avoid speculation on your incompetence? Blame others and the devil. Good job, good job. That's what they always do. It wasn't me, it was them. Oh, and the devil. And we are in medieval times here, so bring on the witch hunts. On December 5, 1484, Pope Innocent VIII issued a papal bull to persecute those suspected of practicing witchcraft. This bull was heavily abused and used for political gain. No way. The bull was written in response to the request of Dominican Heinrich Kramer for explicit authority to prosecute witchcraft in Germany. After he was refused assistance by the local religious authorities, who disputed his authority. And a papal bull is a commandment issued by a pope, not a literal bull. Although I was honestly picturing the big smoke bull from James and the Giant Peach in my mind, which would be just as scary. Now the decree explicitly declares that Heinrich Kramer and Jacob Springer have papal authority to lead procedures against suspected witches and other heretics in Germany and the surrounding areas. The bull also granted them immunity from being molested or hindered in any manner whatsoever during their workings, so they could use whatever methods they wished and would receive no punishment for doing them. I wanted to include just a little bit of the bull so you can get an idea of the kind of fear that they were spreading. It has recently come to our ears, not without great pain to us, that in some parts of Upper Germany, many persons of both sexes, headless of their own salvation and forsaking the Catholic faith, give themselves over to devils, male and female, and by their incantations, charms, and conjurings, and by other abominable superstitions and offenses, crimes, and misdeeds, Ruin and cause to perish the offspring of women, the foal of animals, the products of the earth, the grapes of vines, and the fruit of trees, as well as men, women, cattle, and flock, and herds and animals of every kind, vineyards also and orchards, meadows, pastures, harvest grains, and other fruits of the earth. Seems like a pretty wide range of issues that all could be blamed on witches. Did your wife have a miscarriage? Witches. Are your crops not growing? Witches. Did your goat get killed by wolves? Witches. We know now that things like this can happen, and we can find out the reasoning. But imagine again, you've never been educated. You cannot read and all you know is to listen to what you're told. It would be absolutely terrifying to be told, oh yeah, witches are definitely real, the devil is real and everywhere, and they all want to ruin your lives. The fear in these people was extremely real. Just a few years after, not so innocent issued his papal bull, a new book was made largely due to it. The Malleus Maleficarum, or The Witch Hammer. First published in 1486, it is one of the most notorious books ever written. It has served as a guidebook for inquisitors during the Inquisition and was designed to aid them in the identification, prosecution, and dispatching of witches. It is set forth as well. Many of the modern misconceptions and fears concerning witches and the influence of witchcraft, the questions, definitions, and accusations it outlined regarding witches, and which have been reinforced by its use during the Inquisition, came to be widely regarded as irrefutable truth. In the whole of the literature pertaining to witchcraft, it is probably the most prominent and important work crystallizing into a fiercely stringent code, previous folklore about black magic and church dogma on hearsay. The date of the first edition was around 1486, and the book is still in print today. The influence of the Malleus Maleficarum was widespread outside of the Catholic Church as well. The Protestant clergy, who otherwise strongly opposed the Inquisition, accepted the Malleus as their authority and code against witches. The University of Sydney has copies of three early editions of the book, including the 7th Cologne edition of 1520. As we know, no real witches or devils were discovered or tried. They were all innocent people being murdered for greed, pride, or nothing. Often, the very accusation was enough to see one branded a witch, tried, and burned alive at the stake. Estimates of the death toll over a 250-year period range from 600,000 to as high as 9 million. All made partially possible by our Pope. Well, luckily for everyone, Pope Innocent VIII only led for eight years he ended up suffering from stroke in 1492, which left him in a coma and, I quote, a pile of flesh and bones. In a last-ditch effort to save him, his doctors decided to conduct the first recorded blood transfusion in history, giving his patient little boy's blood to sip on. Unfortunately for the Pope, just because he received the first known blood transfusion does not mean he received the first successful one it is recorded that the children whose lifeblood he consumed died shortly after the story of his blood drinking is still disputed with historians anything i found on a catholic funded site said it was false but mostly everywhere else said it was true i will leave that up to you to debate The man behind the oral blood transfusion suggestion seems to have been his Jewish physician, a guy named Giacomo de San Geneso. He previously cured Innocent of bouts of fever, and in his recounting of the events around Innocent's blood consumption, the association of a Jewish physician with draining blood from Christians suggests that this entire procedure might have been an anti-Semitic propaganda suggesting that Jews sacrifice Christian babies for evil rights, blah, 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 blah. So, charging Innocent's Jewish physician with the kind of bloodlust could have been used for propaganda. Other sources say that this transfusion was just a bunch of nonsense, thanks to the chronicler who first wrote it down a guy named Stefano Infessura, who really hated Innocent and would have wanted to portray him in a negative light he really was not a big fan of the papacy in general. In particular, Stefano was involved in a conspiracy to make Rome a republic, rather than an entity ruled by just the Pope. So, slandering the Holy Father as undergoing bizarre rituals wouldn't be out of the line of possibility for him. History only knows, though. And, unsurprisingly, trying to transfuse blood orally by mouth did not work. And by July 1492, Innocent had become very skinny. To Filippo Valori, he had become an inert mass of flesh, incapable of assimilating any nourishment, but a few drops of milk from a young woman's breast. Innocent died not long after the procedure on July 25th, 1492, but not before mourning the fact that he had not been that great of a pope. Before he died, he even asked the other cardinals to forgive him for his failings and urged them to elect a better man as the next pope. On August 5th, 1492, Innocence was buried in St. Peter's Cathedral near an altar of the Virgin Mary. He led the church for nearly eight years when war and fears of witchcraft ran rampant. It was a bad time for the Italian peninsula and the Pope's politically motivated actions during that time. He led the church for nearly eight years when war and fears of witchcraft ran rampant. It was a bad time for the Italian peninsula, and the Pope's politically motivated actions during that time only pushed the anarchy to its brink. The conflicts he created would not resolve until long after his death. Pope Innocent VIII's reign is not viewed favorably among historians. Considered unworthy and immoral by some, his actions resulted in a controversial reputation that continues today. He only led the church for a few short years, but his rotten decisions and actions impacted Italy and the world for hundreds to come, causing countless lives to be ruined and taken, knowing full well he was failing the whole time, but continued to lead and fail his people really teaches us the power of someone's ego, especially those in great positions of authority. Well, everyone, we have come to the end of our story about the not-so-innocent Pope Innocent VIII. We learned of his childhood of privilege, his scandals, corruption, and we can't forget all of his bull. I'm your host, Josh Waters, and thank you for joining me on this episode of Rot to the Core. Have the best day you can. If you would like to listen to more episodes, stay up to date on our current ones. Rotten to the Core can be found on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Or you can follow us and like us on Facebook at It's Rotten to the Core, Instagram at It's Rotten to the Core, Twitter at Rotten in History, or just go to It's Rotten to the Core.com to learn more about rotten people from our history. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app.